Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, good morning, East Campus. How are we doing this morning? Great. You know, that was a little bit more enthusiastic than normal because you guys have now an extra hour of coffee drinking before you get to church. So that's a good thing. So welcome to all of you here to the East Campus today. If you're new with us, maybe you're your guest with us. My name is Trevor, one of the pastors here at Community of Hope. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, again, we're just here. This is our first weekend. We're changing service times. Anybody come accidentally an hour early today? A couple of, yeah. Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, so make sure that you keep getting the word out. We heard from all of you that nine was a little hard to make for you, some of you and especially for some of our younger families. So help us get the word out that we changed the time. It's at 10 a.m. now. We can, you know, like I said, drink a little bit more coffee, get a little bit more caffeinated, get a little bit more food in us, sleep in maybe just a little bit more, whatever it is. So we're glad you're here. Hey, this is a good weekend at Community of Hope because we are growing as a church this weekend, not necessarily in this service today, but across all of our campuses online, the West Campus at COH Espanol, we're bringing in 11 partners this morning. Here's some pictures of them. Can we honor them? Come on, let's go. That's a great thing, which is really cool here for our church that, you know what, it's amazing that in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a time when a third of our church is back in person, the vast majority of our church is online, that still our church is growing and that Jesus is building his church. is one of my favorite promises in all of scripture when he says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, not even coronavirus. Amen? Amen. Amen for that. Well, uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and grab your COH app and you can open up your sermon notes on there. We're going to jump right on in. We are beginning the season of Lent this week. We launched it this past week. And we're starting a series today we're calling Descending into Greatness. Can we go back to the title graphic so we can show it to everybody first? Go back to the very first slide, Susan. There we go. Descending into Greatness. Everyone say that with me. Descending into Greatness. Perfect. Thanks, Susan. Now you can go back to the Lent slide. And so this is what we're doing for the season of Lent here at Community of Hope. Now, if you're, uh, if you're unfamiliar with that term, or maybe it's been a while, the season of Lent is the 40 days, not counting Sundays, that lead up to Easter when followers of Jesus traditionally prepare our hearts to celebrate Easter. Um, in our culture here in America, the biggest day for for what people think Christians are, is actually they think it's Christmas because that's where we spend the most money and it's where we buy presents, do the most decorating, we spend a whole month doing all this stuff for Christmas. But actually, for followers of Jesus, Easter is Super Bowl Sunday. Without Easter, none of us would be here. It's the biggest day of all. And so Lent is the season where we're preparing our hearts to get ready for that. Uh, this past week, we had our drive through Ash Wednesday stuff. We have a couple pictures here. This is uh, me and Rebecca doing uh, ashes in a COVID world. I never thought I'd be doing Ash Wednesday with gloves and a mask and a Q-tip on people's foreheads. How many of you were able to drive through here at the West Campus? A couple of hands. Yeah, it was great to see you all. And uh, it was a great way to kick off the Lent season. 
And uh, some people, they wrongly think that Ash Wednesday, like a lot of people in our county, they come from a formerly Catholic background. Um, I was baptized in the Catholic Church. A lot of my family is Catholic to this day, and they love Jesus. Uh, But some people just have issues with organized religion and issues sometimes with Catholicism. And some people in our church, they think Ash Wednesday is a Catholic thing, and so they don't understand it. Did you know, actually, that the imposition of ashes, which is where they do the cross on the forehead, dates back to around the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, where early Christians were looking for tangible opportunities to remember and keep fresh the sacrifice of Jesus in their minds and in their heart. And they didn't want it to become such a commonplace thing. And so that's why symbols are really important for how we practice our faith. There's nothing magic about getting ashes on your forehead, um, but it's a good symbol of reminding us what's important. And we do this in every day in our lives. Like I wear a wedding ring. It's a symbol of the covenant I've made with my beautiful wife, Leah. I buy her flowers on Valentine's Day as a symbol of my love for her. And she buys me chocolate donuts on my birthday because she loves me. And it's a symbol and sign of our faith. Amen. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. So it's the same way with all stuff. In in our day and age, it's good to have tangible signs and symbols of how we practice our faith. And so this, these are some things that we're going to be practicing across Lent. You're going to be hearing us talk about all sorts of different ways where you can practice your faith with real tangible ways to get your heart ready for Easter here in the next couple weeks. So we're excited about that. So happy Lent to all of us. Now, here's what we're going to do in this series for Descending into Greatness. We're going to take a deeper look at the life of Jesus. Now we talk about Jesus a lot already at our church. Thank goodness. Aren't you glad you don't go to a church where it's a Hallmark card and a poem and you go home? Aren't you glad for that? So we are going to talk about Jesus. Now um, oftentimes during Lent what we want to do is we want to focus uh, on some of the traditional conventional things about the life of Jesus. We're going to talk about Obviously, we talk about his birth at Christmas. We talk about his life. We talk about his teachings. We talk about his death. We talk about his resurrection. But in this series, what we're going to attempt to do is also talk about some of the unconventional things about the life of Jesus. For instance, I want to talk to you a little bit today about the idea of humility. The idea of humility. Now, uh, I, if we polled everybody here in this room, I seriously doubt that there would not be a single soul here or a single soul in the cry room or anybody who's listening to us on a podcast later on who would say that humility is not a good thing. Every single one of us admires humility. Humility is universally admired and praised in our culture and in our world. For instance, think about this. When you see a real example of somebody who's humble, you automatically recognize that humility is beautiful, right? Think of one of the most humble people, most greatest examples of humility you've ever seen. Isn't it beautiful? Uh, I... Didn't get, I couldn't find the picture on my phone, but one of the best examples of humility I've ever seen came from a time when my wife Leah and I, we were in seminary at uh, Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. And uh, they, uh, the, the, the seminary was able to recruit and bring out of retirement a famous pastor, chaplain. I mean, I, it's not like he's famous, like he wrote books, he's on TV and trying to, you know, make you give him money to buy a jet plane or, you know, whatever. It's not that weird, weird stuff. Um, but he was just coming out of retirement, well-known. He'd been a chaplain in many different seminaries and colleges and universities. And this man, he was an older man. His name was Bob Stamps, okay? 
His wife was named Ellen, and they just lived an incredible amount of life. Uh, Ellen was actually Corey. I mean, if you've ever heard of Corey Tinboon, Corey uh, Ellen was Corey Tinboon's traveling nurse for 15 years. So pretty incredible. So these people have been around unbelievable followers of Jesus, lived an incredible life. Um, they came out of retirement to come and be the dean of the chapel at Asbury Seminary. Sounds very official and formal, but really this guy just had a heart to invest in young people and to invest in future pastors like me and Leah. And so you know what they did? They moved into the dorm, into student housing. He and his wife coming out of retirement. How many of you are in retirement right now and you want to go move into student housing at a college? (laughs) Right? Exactly. They literally moved into our neighborhood to pour in and invest in people and do life together as we prepare to declare the name of Jesus all throughout the world. Isn't that cool? Humility is beautiful. It's beautiful. Humility is also really inspiring when you see it right. Now, I've seen a recent example of this. It was personally inspiring to me. Nobody laugh. Some of you can cheer if you're with me. But I got really inspired by Tom Brady the past couple weeks. Where's my Bucks fans at? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are like, you know, half of the room is Dolphins fans and like, don't you show Brady's face in church. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit's going to leave the room. Now, but here's what's interesting. All the reports are coming out after they've won the Super Bowl from his teammates. And what this guy did when he first came to Tampa was he got all of his teammates together. He would text them. He would have his receivers and uh, tight ends and offensive linemen to his home for dinner. And he would tell them all, I'm here because I want to win a Super Bowl. But I'm not in it just for my seventh one. Obviously, that's a cool thing. He said, I'm here because I want you to experience how awesome it is to win a Super Bowl. He wasn't actually in it for him. The joy for him in this win wasn't for himself. The joy was being able to give this to his teammates where the vast majority of any of them had ever even been to the playoffs before. And now they won the Super Bowl. In fact, in the NFC title game, in the press conference afterward, and obviously Tom Brady, Tom Brady, you want to talk to the media, Tom Brady, blah, 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 and he's on the microphone. Tom stopped in the middle of it and says, you guys hear from me all the time. Get some of these other guys up here. And he stepped away from the microphone and let these unsung heroes and leaders of this team in Tampa get their own moment in the spotlight. That's cool, isn't it? That's cool. That's inspiring. Humility, it's beautiful. It's inspiring. It's also persuasive. For instance, here's a picture of Warren Buffett, which is widely regarded as one of the wealthiest people on the planet. If other people hop over him as the wealthiest people on the planet, Jeff Bezos has jumped over him and so has Elon Musk. The only reason these people jump over him is because he keeps giving away his fortune. Uh, Warren Buffett still lives in the same house he purchased in 1956. And it's not a mansion. He lives in Omaha, Nebraska. Every single morning, depending on how prosperous he feels that day, he drives through McDonald's and either gets a sausage biscuit, a sausage biscuit with egg, or a sausage egg McMuffin if he's feeling really rich that day. Now what's really cool about this guy um, even though he's agnostic, I mean, we should pray for him to find Jesus, shouldn't we? 
We absolutely should. He's an agnostic, but his generosity and the life he lives of humility, even though he's the richest person the world has ever seen, his generosity is persuading other ultra-wealthy people. In fact, he has this thing called the giving pledge that he's organized and led where he's trying to convince other ultra-billionaires to give away half of their net worth before they die. And they're doing it. Humility, it's beautiful. It's inspiring. It's persuasive. And what's fascinating, what I want to tell you here today, is that humility has not always been this way. Did you know that? Did you know that humility has not always been universally admired, universally praised? This is something that had a start date in civilization. I want to talk to you a little bit about today. We're going to get our nerd hats on. Sometimes we're really passionate. We talk about what God's going to do inside of us. And sometimes we talk about our emotions. Sometimes we talk about our hearts. We just spent seven weeks talking about our soul. Today, I want you to put your thinking cap on. I'm going to get a little nerdy with you today, okay? I don't have my glasses, and I forgot my pocket protector at home. And I took my retainer out before I got here. But we're going to get a little nerdy today. So there was a study that was done. And we're going to talk about this the rest of the morning. There was a study that was done by the University of McGuire, I believe I'm saying that right, and their Department of Ancient History. They received a grant from their government, I think it was either Australia or New Zealand, they received a secular government-funded grant to study the origins of humility in Western civilization. So let's just pause here. This is a secular study, a non-religious study, done by our government at a non-Christian school that didn't even have a religion or, or a theology department in it. And they were tasked with, study what were the origins of humility in Western civilization. And so they took the task, they took the money, they got to work. And what they learned was that humility has not always been that way. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Just like how we all universally admire humble people. In the ancient world, they universally admired people who sought power, who sought greatness, who sought honor. That is what was admired. In fact, if you went to the ancient world, particularly the Greek or the Roman Empire, and you asked people who were their heroes, who was beautiful, inspiring, and persuasive to them, they most certainly would have started with this guy. This is a picture of a statue of Alexander the Great. Looks like he needs moisturizer. Alexander the Great, let's just have a little bit of a history lesson here. At the age 20, he succeeded his father Philip to the throne of Macedonia. And he quickly made himself master of all of Greece and then set about the task to him, which seemed quite small, of conquering the rest of the known world. And by the time he died at age 33, he had succeeded to such an extent it made sense within the thought or within the thought of the time for him to be regarded as divine. At 33 years old, he'd conquered the whole world. I better get on it. And it was such an astounding accomplishment he began to think of himself and declare himself as divine, and people bought it. Hero, beautiful, inspiring, persuasive in the ancient world. Here's another picture. This is a picture of Caesar Augustus. 
Now, Caesar Augustus, he was born Gaius Octavius. He was adopted by his great uncle, Julius Caesar, and then took the name Gaius Julius Caesar, and in 27 BC, 27 years before the birth of Christ, the Senate awarded him the name Augustus, meaning the illustrious one, and he became known as Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus. Now, the point here I'm wanting to make to you all in showing you this is that in the ancient world, Greeks and Romans thought nothing of praising themselves in public or getting others to praise them. We see that as narcissistic and people being egomaniacs. In the ancient world, beautiful, inspiring, and persuasive. Fascinating, isn't it? Again, this is just history. This is just history. In fact, one of the greatest examples of this is how Augustus himself by his own order, inscribed on bronze, bronze tablets to be set up on his mausoleum, a huge list of all his accomplishments. It's a catalog of all the great things he had done to invite and bestow on himself honor and pride. 35 accomplishments on bronze tablets of all of his stuff. Absolutely braggadocious. We thought social media is bad today. Holy cow. A 35-line item post about why I'm awesome. And the whole world was inspired by it. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how did the world go from that to all of a sudden humble people? Or what's beautiful, inspiring, and persuasive? If bragging about yourself and declaring how great you are before was seen as a virtue and now is seen as a vice in our civilization, how did we make that leap? Now, what these historians found is fascinating. Again, secular study. Secular. A secular study by a government grant in a school that has no institutional Christian influence in it. Pure history, what they discovered was that the singular reason is because you probably have guessed it already, it's the life of Jesus of Nazareth on Western civilization. It's what changed everything. Now, what's interesting is what these researchers and um, experts and historians all discovered with the life of Jesus is that it's not what you think would have changed the entire civilization. Like most people thought, well, it's probably the teachings of Jesus. This is what changed everything. Uh, obviously, it's his teachings. Of course it is. Um, because Jesus said wonderful things, good things. Obviously, we believe in the teachings of Jesus here. Like, for instance, listen, this is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. This is going to sound very familiar to you, regardless of how churched or unchurched you are. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the first, this is the first and greatest commandment. Now, this is on the screen, but just listen here. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I just love it when I meet somebody and they, they're like, listen, man, I, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I don't do that Jesus thing. I don't do organized religion. I'm a spiritual person. I believe in being a good person. Like, I just believe in treating other people the way you want to be treated. Like, man, you're so spiritual. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Where'd you get that idea? 
right? So, I mean, was it the teachings of Jesus, which people universally adore almost? Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. Some people really hate some of the things that Jesus has to say. He was kind of offensive in some ways, but it's offensive in a good way. But was it the teachings of Jesus? No. It wasn't his teachings on humility. Well, it was certainly his persona. And if it wasn't his teachings, that's the way he lived his life. We just spent seven weeks talking about the persona of Jesus Christ and get your life back. Surely it was his persona. Surely it was how he lives his life and made an impact on others. Like, for instance, listen to this in John 8. Again, not on the screen, just listen in. John 8, 9, uh, 9 through 11. At this, those who began to go away, this is when a bunch of people had caught a woman in adultery, dragged her into the city court. Like, isn't it interesting that she got caught in the act of adultery and they dragged her out, but where was the dude she was committing adultery with? Hmm. So there's this woman dragged into, uh, into open view, just humiliated, embarrassed, and shamed. Her life is over, figuratively and literally. She's about to die. And they're getting ready to stone her. And Jesus is there. And they go, Master, what should we do with her? Let's hear what Jesus did. Jesus told them, obviously, we've all heard this. You who are without sin, throw the first stone. And then verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Listen to this. Maybe if you're a woman here today and you've had people accuse you and slander you and condemn you, listen to this. This is what Jesus would say to you. Woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She's looking around. They're all gone. They're, there's no one here condemning me, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. That's the God we worship in this place. Amen? Oh, Jesus is beautiful. And then in Matthew 19, if that weren't enough, if it weren't just for his compassion or his mercy or how he's a friend of sinners, thank God he's a friend of sinners. That means he's a friend of yours and he's a friend of mine and your church is even led by two sinners. Dale more than me, but you know. (laughs) Matthew 19. The people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he, then he placed his hands on them. He went from there and he blessed children. Jesus loved kids. I mean, my goodness, of all, you could go on and on and on about his persona. He was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, hating hypocrisy, loving broken people, bringing little kids around him. He lo- I just love this about Jesus. But this neither was the reason why humility became a virtue in Western civilization either. Not his teachings, not his persona. You want to know what it was that changed everything? It was his execution. It was his crucifixion. Now, the slide says his crucifixion, just for clarity. But if you're taking notes, I want you to just hear me. We're, we've become desensitized to the, the idea of crucifixion. Because we have crosses everywhere and people wear gold crosses and cross means a sign of hope nowadays. We completely have lost the horror of crucifixion. It was execution 
in the ancient world. In the Roman Empire, there were three ways that Romans killed people as capital punishment for crimes. You were either decapitated, or you were burned alive, or you were crucified. And by far, by far, with not even a close second, the whole world knew the worst way to die by execution in the Roman world was crucifixion, not even a close second. Because not only was it physically excruciating and horrifying as a way to die, it was also the most shameful way to die. Stripped naked, alone, abandoned. Think about Alexander the Great and Caesar. Somebody hanging on a cross was the exact opposite of what thought was what they thought was beautiful and inspiring and persuasive. It was ugly. It was horrifying. It was terrible. It was the most gruesome, most painful, most shameful way to die. No dignity, being convicted, bleeding, abandoned, and alone. It was the lowest form of death in the known world. And if you think about it, it was actually the lowest possible place you could go in the Roman Empire was to die on a cross. Now, it's really fascinating if you think about this with me. Most people... uh, you want to think that most people have like an arc to their life. And most people, when they die, their influence begins to recede and the arc goes down. If there's anybody whose influence will, will surpass their life, you usually know at the moment of their death. Um, like Alexander the Great, Caesar Augustus, Napoleon, uh, maybe even Muhammad or any other worldwide known figures who were very prominent, very influential at the moment of their death, that's when maybe their arc will go up and their influence continues to grow in the whole known world. Jesus, however, at his death, because he died alone, abandoned like a loser in the Roman Empire, everyone would have expected the influence of his life would have teetered off because it was over, his movement was over, he had no honor, no value, no nothing because of the way he died specifically. But yet something happened. Something happened between the day Jesus died, around approximately 33 AD. Between there and something that happened at 62 AD that changed the world forever. Now obviously Jesus' followers we're making the claim worldwide that he wasn't dead, that he was alive. That will change a lot of things. I love saying this, that if you uh, call your own death and your own resurrection and then pull it off, people should listen to you, right? We're not even talking about this. We're still talking about history. Something happened with how Jesus' first followers interpreted the events of his death and his execution. This is where we're at today. As we're coming around some of the final turns of this, this morning, I want to show you some scriptures that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks, preparing our hearts for Easter through Lent. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. 
Watch this with me on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul. And he wrote these words to church in Philippi that he planted in 62 AD. Listen to this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with each other, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, you can read this screen, or you can watch me. I'm going to visualize something for you here as I'm reading these next few verses from 6 through 11. This was an ancient hymn that the first Christian sang. This is one of the first praise songs Christians ever sang. And Paul quotes the lyrics right here. Watch this. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And here it is, even death on a cross. The lowest place in the world where anybody could lower themselves. There was no lower place to go than death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar Augustus, not Alexander the Great, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The whole world before Jesus, the whole world thought to become great, you must climb an ascent and make yourself great. And then Jesus comes along and he says, the way to greatness isn't up. The way to greatness is to go down and to lower yourself and to not ascend into greatness, but to descend into eternal greatness. You know why this is so important for us in this series, guys? Because right now, our culture is having what I call a crisis of humility. We admire it. We think it's beautiful. We think it's inspiring. We think it's persuasive. And we're sick with the opposite spirit. Our egos, we live in a, a selfie society with our egos, with our ego, eagles, with our egos run amok. Every young person who's like 40 or under thinks of themselves as a brand to promote. 
And if you're an older generation, don't, I'm not just going to pick on younger people here. That's what young people do and what older people do. Have you guys seen that commercial with Joe Namath and Medicare benefits? Yeah. Get everything you're entitled to. I'm a brand selfie. I'm going to get everything I'm entitled to. My rights. Me, 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 me. We're sick. We're sick. And we need help. Look at verses three through five. We're going to spend the next several weeks slowly going through six through 11, that beautiful, what it's called the Christological hymn of the descent into greatness. We're going to look at that all across Lent. But look at the preamble. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I'm not here to rail on our culture. I'm here to point out our own hypocrisy and sin. We need help. We are selfish as a people. If anything has showed it, it's this past year, all of our selfishness got exposed on every side of every issue, amen? I'm gonna step on some toes today. (laughs) All of our selfishness got exposed. All of our vanity got exposed. All of our conceit got exposed. Then Paul says in humility, and most people don't understand what humility is. They think humility is somebody who doesn't think highly of themselves. That's, that's the exact opposite of humility. That's false humility. That's a bad self-image. God doesn't want you to think poorly about yourself. If Jesus was the most humble person who ever lived, surely Jesus didn't have a bad self-esteem, did he? No, so that can't be humility. Rather, he says, in humility, what is it? It's valuing others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. To really descend into greatness and to grow into humility is to abdicate your own rights for somebody else. To push somebody ahead instead of you. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others and your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is what we're learning and what we will learn in the Lent season. It's how to have the same mindset of Jesus that empowered him to descend into greatness. And by the way, Jesus invites everyone who would come after him to join him on the journey. He said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be great, the greatest among you will be the what? The servant of all. See, there comes a moment in the life of every person who would want to follow after Jesus where we accept his invitation into this counterintuitive, countercultural, existential reckoning with our society's addiction to assent, where we learn to reject the ways of Caesar Augustus and reject the ways of Alexander the Great and learn to follow in the ways and the footsteps of Jesus of Nazareth. This wasn't necessarily on my notes. But can I tell you what my, one of my favorite movies is? Who said no? <laughs> one of my favorite movies is the movie uh, Pixar, Disney Pixar, Cars. You guys remember Cars? It's so great. Um, I've probably seen that movie 150 times because my little boy, Cade, uh, it was his favorite movie growing up, and that's all he wanted to watch was Cars every single day. Now, Cars is a, a story about humility. 
Cars is a story about a race car named Lightning McQueen, who is a rookie and he's winning, but he's arrogant. And through a series of events, he experiences some humbling things, but really gets his perspective changed. He didn't learn to think less of himself. He learned to think of others first. And so in the final race where he's going to become the Piston Cup champion, instead of crossing the finish line, he stops and notices somebody in their very last race before they retired got in a wreck and crashed. Instead of him winning the race, which he could have, he put his car in reverse and then pushed the other car ahead of the finish line instead of him. He came in absolute last place. But because of this beautiful, inspiring, and persuasive act of humility, he really came in first place. It's such a cool story. And here's the thing that I want to tell you about it. And how did... Here it is. Jesus' death and how Paul wrote about Jesus' death is why Pixar makes movies like Cars. Jesus' death and how Paul wrote about Jesus' death are why you and I now look at somebody who brags about themselves and we feel bad for them. Jesus' death and how Paul wrote about Jesus' death is why everybody in the entire Western civilization thinks human is something we should pursue and run for. Come back this series and learn to run after it with us together. Amen? Amen. Last closing thought. Verona, will you come on up? Here's a closing thought. So Caesar Augustus built many amazing things, right? Like people can go to Rome today. Anybody here been to Rome? You've been to Rome. Right, you, can, you guys have been to Rome. You, you can go see a lot of stuff that the Romans built and maybe even Augustus himself built. Jesus built things too. He was a carpenter. Everything that Caesar built, you can go see mostly. But all the stuff that Jesus built, you can't find any of it anymore, right? He was a carpenter. It's all rotted or who knows what happened to it. Maybe got thrown in a pile. Who knows what Jesus built? Everything Jesus built didn't last. Oh, except this one thing. Except a church with billions and billions of people worshiping his name every single Sunday across the millenniums. And today, we name our dogs after Caesar. Would you please stand for our closing moment? So everybody, happy Lent. Well, have a blessed Lent season. Come back. Come open your Bibles. Come walk with us through Jesus' descent into greatness so we can walk in his ways and walk in his power, walk in his truth, and so we can learn to descend into greatness with him. Uh, if you need, there's going to be prayer, prayer people uh, in our prayer room back over here, prayer ministers over here. If you need prayer for anything, if you need healing for anything, if you got any issue going, if you came here with a broken heart, go over there. There are people who love to pray for you before you head on out. So make sure you do that. But otherwise, would you prepare your hearts to receive this benediction? Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, go in God's peace. Go descend into greatness. We'll see you next week.